You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Welcome to Woman on the Line, one of Community Radio's National Women's Current Affairs programs. Mum and you know Uncle Paul and um, you know all the mother mob that were involved in this Black Power generation, they then started to actually just build their own. The embassy was set up to try to raise questions about transparency and what the organisation that had the power over that bit of land was doing with it. That's Lorna Monroe discussing the Redfern Tent Embassy. We'll hear more about the efforts of the embassy later in the show. Welcome to Woman on the Line, one of Community Radio's National Women's Current Affairs programs, produced at 3CR Community Radio in Melbourne and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. I'm your host, Ayan Shirwa. In 2018, Lorna Monroe and George Sherwood Spring got together to create a show that would chronicle the gentrification of Redfern and Waterloo. Survival Guide is the story of the ongoing displacement of Aboriginal people, greed and ultimately complicity. It's an excellent program that I recommend all women on the line listeners check out. But before you do, let's hear from Lorna Monroe, one half of Survival Guide. I'll try to keep it short. Uh, I'm a Radrika Milleroy poet and podcaster. Um, I grew up in Redfern and Waterloo. Um, I, a lot of my work is about trying to kind of activate this space that I know and love so well. Um, um, a lot of people would know me from my work that I did with um, Brother Joel Sherwood Spring on Survival Guide, which was a podcast about gentrification and colonisation on a radio skid row, um, 88.9 FM for Sydney listeners. Sorry, I've been very lucky to just, um, you know, be part of all these different spaces and projects. Right, and I can't wait to discuss Survival Guide and also to talk about the campaign that Radio Skid Row is currently running and why that campaign is even in existence. Um, But firstly, you grew up in Redfern and I'm guessing the Redfern you grew up in and the one now is radically different. Tell us about the Redfern you grew up in as a kid. So I, you know, the way that I talk about this is I grew up in Waterloo. Waterloo and Redfern are the one of the, the two of the smallest suburbs in Sydney, in the inner city area of Sydney. Um, and I have to stress that just to kind of get across, you know, um, the overrepresentation of police brutality and a lot of messed up, fucked up, colonial, racist, violent, you know, stuff that happens in these very, very two small communities. Very two small suburbs, sorry, that are right next door to each other. So that, those communities are pretty much, they function as the one, but they are two, you know, separate suburbs with their own history that intertwine. For me, uh, I guess the reason Survivor Guide resonates with me is because of the whole gentrification um, aspect of it, because I grew up in Carlton, the Housing Commission flats in Carlton, and we had this thing called, we went, uh, myself and my family and the community I love, we underwent this thing called the renewal, the housing renewal program. And a lot of us were kind of shipped off to different suburbs. We were told that we were allowed to come back. And then once all these new apartments were built, we were told, hang on a sec, not everyone is coming back. So listening to Survivor Guide, for me, it was like, oh my God, I know what that's like. 
that's happened before. Um, but where I grew up in has shaped my activism, you know, my ideas about community, my ideas about um, politics. I was wondering, is that the same for you? To be really honest, unfortunately, I come from a long line of, um, you know, Aboriginal people who have been maintaining their autonomy and um, and telling their narratives and really fighting to have their voices put out there in a, you know, racist society that does not value our existence, let alone our voices. So unfortunately, you know, um, I'm, I never had a choice. Um, you know, I come from a big black proud, very vocal uh, family and community. Um, I was born into this. You know, it wasn't a, an event or something that um, really kind of brought me into activism. If I can talk about, if I could talk about an event that kind of influenced the path that I'm on now, it, it was witnessing um, the death and the, the, the murder and the cover-up um, of one of my brother boys, um, you know, after he was impaled on a fence um, after being chased by police in 2004. So, you know, if we really want to talk about what radicalised me, it was that. It was watching um, the way that uh, the people who were responsible for that incident um, was never, ever held accountable, um, you know, for a, a young Aboriginal boy, Aboriginal boy's life. Mm. Um, so, you know, I, I just really have to stress that, you know, I really don't like using the, the term activism. A lot of these terms come along with colonial um, context, and that's not exactly what I do. What I do and what, you know, a lot of people like me represent is something that transcends um, everything. Hmm. Um, so, you know, I really had no choice. It's a cultural obligation. It's the rent that I pay living on this land and having the bloodlines that I have. You know, this community is vastly different. Um, I am living in a community, I'm raising my son in a community where police have gotten away with murdering um, uh, Aboriginal boys and um, young people and, and men. Um, you know, uh, being very violent towards young women. Um, I guess, you know, you'd have to listen to Survivor Guide to really kind of grasp how layered and how complex the situation is right here, right now. And, you know, that's a couple of years old now, so it has changed a bit more, which has led us to the to the projects that I'm kind of putting my energy into now and, you know, really trying to train up uh, people from my own community and from other communities in Sydney um, to be confident in broadcasting and um, putting together podcasts putting together their narratives and their stories and being proud about that and confident and, you know, reaching for those stars and whatever they want to do. I love that. I love that so much. And I guess now is the perfect time to talk about Survival Guide. Tell us about this wonderful program. Well, Survival Guide came about because we was approached, Joel and I were both approached separately and together um, by Radio Skidro and the University of Sydney after, um, I guess, they had seen us uh, be involved in uh, some of the organising and mobilising that was happening in Waterloo after it was announced that, um, you know, this new metro line was going to be put in, um, that, you know, all the Department of Housing was going to be um, redeveloped, um, you know, and then the rest is history. You can go on and look at that very 
you know, it's, it's, a, it's become a really, really good resource um, over time, and it remains a great resource. I don't know anybody else who was talking about this sort of stuff. We were actually kicking and screaming, um, you know, we've been trying to get people to understand what was happening here. Um, nobody wanted to listen to us. Um, nobody outside of our community really wanted to talk to us about it, except for Skid Row. Um, you know, so big ups to them because they opened up a big, um, you know, Pandora's box there. I've listened to, I think, six, seven episodes, and, you know, I love all of them, but there's a segment that kind of really stressed me out. I don't know if it's the same for you, but it was the cartographers of colonization. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. Tell us about this segment, and were you surprised by the responses from the locals? No, I wasn't surprised, which is why I, you know, wanted to to um, experiment in that way um, and we were just very lucky enough that we were working on a podcast at that time. I've been through many different spaces. I've been, you know, I've worked as an educator in local schools. I can't even get into where I have sourced all of this stuff from and all this information. It's been a long, long journey, right, through all these different spaces with activism, with academia, with community, with art, um, you know, and... Uh, business and stuff like that. It, it goes on and on. I think the thing that I just really wanted to draw out and make very clear for other people um, that there's this weird thing that happens within white fragility that a lot of white people don't even know how to say the word white. And it can be in any context. Like, I've noticed it with artists talking about their art and they'll say white, they'll say light, they say all these different words to describe the colour white, but never the actual colour. So I thought that there's something interesting and very telling about that, and I wanted to explore that a bit more. Yeah. And, you know, the best way to explore is always within your own backyard, you know, something that um, works well for me. Uh, I've, you know, a lot of the experiments, a lot of social experiments um, that I've conducted in the past have always been in my community or about my community, um, you know, so it's just kind of stepping on from that. Cartographers of colonisation, again was just a kind of mechanism to start a big conversation for gentrifiers, white people, non-Aboriginal people, and everybody else that is living in this community and who has been misplaced for them to have that comfortability, who's been misplaced for them to have that space and that house and that little bit of stolen thing, mm. um, and to really think about that in the hope that they might actually realise that you know, they're contributing to this huge injustice that's happening here. And that's something you and Joel talk about throughout the program is complicity. Is there a way to be less complicit? Is that even possible? You know, I can't even answer that problem because it means that I've got to do the work for other people. Other people, like everybody needs to realise that themselves. They need to come to that conclusion. Um, you know, I can't, I can't tell people how they're complicit. I can explain um, what it looks like, but that's about it. And on community radio stations right across Australia, you're listening to Women on the Line. So I've been speaking to Lorna Monroe from the radio program Survival Guide. Lorna shared what it was like growing up in Redfern and her motivation for starting Survival Guide. In this next half of the interview, Lorna looks at the Redfern Tent Embassy and the contributions of Jenny Monroe who is an activist, a Wurundjeri elder, and one of the key figures fighting for Aboriginal families on the block. 
Lorna also updates us on Radio Skid Row's campaign to stay on air. We begin this segment by asking Lorna whether anything has changed since the show started and the community's response to Survival Guide. To be really honest, um, I really question how much of the community has actually listened. Um, I think, to be really honest, in my community, I've become known as the Black Lisa Simpson. So if you know anything about the Simpsons, whenever Lisa kind of finds something out and wants to tell the rest of the community, no one really listens to her. I'm just kind of the little geek that's always kind of finding stuff out and trying to expose that to the rest of the community. And unfortunately, the rest of my community, you know, they're worried about surviving day-to-day stuff, which often takes away from having the capacity and the energy to actually think about anything else. So, you know, I really get that. But again, that was my motive. That was, again, one of the motivations that I had to do Survival Guide because if that's there, it's on. It's online. It's, 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 it's there for people to access when they need to and when they realise these things. The genocidal projects and the gentrifiers projects have been too seductive, to be really honest. Um, the problem in my community is our own people selling us out. And if you look at any Aboriginal community, if you look at any kind of community where there's mobilisation and organisation and some kind of radical thinking, there's always someone that's going to sell them out. Um, you know, the people that we know and love are the ones that can hurt us most. And that has played out so much in Redfern and Waterloo and it's playing out every day right now. The situation has gotten worse. The building at the block and the flats and the student housing has gone up. And you know, seeing that physical development, I think it's made the penny drop for a lot of our people here on the ground. And now they're realising. Now when they're outnumbered on the streets of Redfern and they're the only black face there and everyone's staring at them like they shouldn't be there, now the penny's dropped. This is why it becomes an obligation once you understand these things talk about it in the hope that people will understand that and you know see where they fit in that context another thing that i love that both you and joel do but particularly you in one of the episodes i can't remember which one but you go out on the street of redfern and you kind of like point to places of significance or places that you are unable to get in because of racial profiling and so on can you tell us more about that well i just wanted to talk a little bit about where that comes from I spent a few years working as a tour guide down in the Rock area. I've actually developed uh, tours about my own community that I've been running off my own back since I was in uni about 12, 11 years ago. This has been the one thing that has kind of got me through, um, you know, when I've struggled financially, when I've struggled um, with, a, with a lot of other things. Um, you know, so the season two of Survival Guide was really an opportunity for me to really think about how I can package all this information and all of these great places within this very small space right here. How can I get that narrative across? How can I get people to realise that there's layers and levels of the history here? Mm. Um, you know, so we kind of really dedicated some time to, to actually record some of that tour. And, you know, now because of COVID, um, you know, that idea was genius back then because... And now I have some kind of idea and some kind of um, format to work with, um, you know, to keep trying to push opportunities for my own community, um, you know, because that's what that, that whole plan and thing was about, really. Um, you know, and then I just wanted to talk about, you know, if anybody really understood the initial contact stories in Sydney, and this is why it was such an important place to tell this story and the cycles of 
the, the, the colonial project. If anybody really understands the Sydney story, they would understand that, you know, a lot of people, I'm making huge, um, you know, generalisations, but a lot of people have made comments about Sydney mob, you know, that they didn't put up enough fights or that they didn't do something or they didn't do enough of this or they didn't do enough of that. Um, and, you know, I actually have to correct people and I have to say, you know, the only thing that this Sydney, that these Sydney mob did that they might not have done again was show these colonisers and show these invaders where to find fresh food and water because the next few weeks those fences were put up and they weren't allowed to go back to the very places they showed those white people a few weeks before. So, you know, I want to speak to something a little bit closer to home for you Melbourne listeners down there. That's exactly what's going on at the moment with Jack Warren and the embassy there and, you know, the destroying of the trees. You've got fences going up right now telling people that they can't go and, you know, they can't be in a place that they've camped for for the last couple of years. No, and these are colonial tools. This is what they do. Um, and I love that you also slightly touch on what's happening in or what happened in Fitzroy and how Fitzroy was kind of like the blueprint for what's happening in other places. Yeah, well, I've, I've been lucky. You know, I, my bloodlines extend um, throughout the whole eastern seaboard of this country. Um, you know, so when I was a teenager going down to Melbourne, and, and we talked about that on that episode that you're talking about on Survival Guys, you know, I had mob, I had my family showing me around. I had my aunties and uncles take me places and say, take a good look, take it all in, because this is what's going to happen in Redfern in the next 20 years. Mm-hmm. And this is a thing with, with elders and with Aboriginal people, you know, even that special broadcast that I did earlier on this year, which was on the, the last day of freedom, the day before Invasion Day, I interviewed Uncle Robbie Thorpe, you know, who's, who has his own show there on 3CR. But he did something that was quite amazing. And I have to really kind of point people back to this. He actually predicted the end of colonisation. He actually predicted that colonisation would, um, would be knocked out mid-2020. And, you know, this is before the whole COVID global uh, pandemic was on the radar. So, you know, there's this thing that happens with our old people, that they become our, our soothsayers. It becomes an obligation to listen because you're the one that's going to pay for it in the end if you do not listen. And I'm so glad that you mentioned Robbie Thorpe because, as you mentioned, he's a 3CR programmer. He's also someone that's very generous with his knowledge and he's very, like, sharp and he doesn't mince his words. And his attitude and just who he is sort of reminds me, and maybe I'm overstepping, reminds me of your mother as well, who's an elder, um, Jenny Monroe, and I'd be remiss if I didn't bring her up and just the wonderful contributions she's made. Um, I'll pass that off to you. Who is Jenny Monroe? Well, first off, you know, I just got to acknowledge our intricate Wiradjuri um, freshwater river system bloodline, you know, because they have spent a long time together. They have, they're a part of the generation that come before me. And that generation, we're still picking apart on how they mobilise. They all know each other. They're all related and connected. I've had time with Uncle Robbie. I've had time with these great black thinkers in majority of, you know, the main cities in this country. And really, you know, just the fact that I'm able to call them auntie and uncle gives me access that other people don't necessarily have. And I have to acknowledge that, you know, because this is what's made the work that I do so compelling. 
because it's influenced from so many different areas. So my mum, Jenny Munro, is a Radri woman. I'm actually working on another podcast at the moment, which is called Stomping Ground, um, and it's about blowing up in Redfern and Waterloo. That should be released soon. Um, she became involved in black politics at the age of 17 at the embassy in 1972 in Canberra. Um, you know, her brother is um, Uncle Paul Coe, which is one of the first black lawyers in this country, and her older sister was Annie Isabel Coe, um, who was a stalwart of the embassy, a stalwart of, sov- of sovereign thinking and being and action. She idolised her brother and sister. Um, she followed them to Sydney. She came down here, she seen 40,000 black fellas all gathering and living in one place. You know, that would have been mind-blowing. It still would be mind-blowing to be able to see that many black fellas in one place. Um, you know, she, she came down here, um, she got involved with the Aboriginal Community Control Organisations and the AMS, the Children's Service. She was the first female CEO of a land council, very involved in the Land Rights Act, you know. My mum and dad are actually one of the few of that generation that are still alive and are around here. There's not many of them left, which is why I think, you know, the lessons and the struggles that they went through on the achievements have been hijacked and used to push conservatism and used to push stuff that isn't really for our mob. My mum and dad met on Redfern Street. I'm the first of my bloodline born outside of a mission, and I was born right here in Redfern. I was born right here. I grew up here. I went to school here. I'm still here. So I really want, I really need people to appreciate how my mum and that generation before me had built a community. They had built a haven for black kids to grow up in. And that haven has been destroyed and picked apart over the last 20 years. And it's so impressive when she and the others um, who are part of the Redfern Tent Embassy, when they set up tent on the block... Can you tell us about that? Because I think that's so extraordinary what they did. I think it was 2014 that she set up the, the blog. Uh, she set up the embassy um, down there. It's a bit hard for me to talk about. Um, you know, we're still sort of carrying trauma. We're still, we're, we're actively watching those buildings go up right now. The thing with the housing company is that it has been in disrepute for a very long time. The fact that those houses that existed down there, you know, were torn down kind of shows um, how well that organisation has managed that bit of land. But long story short, the box was the first um, bit of land that was owned by Aboriginal people um, and that just happened to be in, you know, the largest city in this country. Um, Back in the 70s, Aboriginal people, they weren't being allowed to rent. They were being treated like shit from the hospitals and from the realtors and, you know, pretty much in every service and, and um, you know, thing that builds up a community. So mum and, you know, Uncle Paul and, um, you know, all the other mob that were involved in this black power generation, they then started to actually just build their own. The embassy was set up to try to raise questions about transparency and what the organisation that had the power over that bit of land was doing with it. So long story short, you know, they've willfully neglected the space, they've willfully neglected the, the, the family and the property and then used that against them to get rid of 
black faces down there. And then they worked with an international company that made famous comments about getting rid of the black faces and continued to work with them. So now we've got a housing project down there named after Temoy, who was the first warrior that died fighting to keep foreigners off his country. Now we've got a housing project named after him that is going to be full of people he died fighting to keep off his land. So there's, again, levels levels of that disrespect and desecration. And, again, you know, my mum tried her best and she did what she could. Unfortunately, there's just too much money attached to it. But that housing project now is set to receive, what, $16 million plus every year for the next 99 years, just in rent alone. And what, where is that going? So they actually don't house any Aboriginal people. Before we let you go... Uh, Radio Skid Row has a campaign to basically save the station. Tell us about that and how people can support it. So uh, Radio Skid Row has received zero funding for operations this year. Um, they've gone from like $150,000 um, $100, for operations projects and programs down to zero this year. So they're really kind of focusing on moving towards an independent model, really, you know, taking the lessons from this community and um, being independent um, and figuring out how we can do that. So we've got a campaign on at the moment. We're trying to raise seven grand because that is... We'd like to thank Lorna Monroe for joining us on Woman on the Line. If you'd like to learn about what's happening in Redfern and Waterloo, Check out Survival Guide at radioskidrow.org slash project slash survival dash guide. To support Radio Skid Row's fundraising campaign, go to startsomegood.com slash radioskidrow. Woman on the Line is one of Community Radio's National Women's Current Affairs programs. It is produced and presented by a range of women and gender diverse broadcasters from 3CI in Melbourne and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. We welcome your comments or thoughts on today's show, so send us an email on womanontheline at gmail.com. Women on the Line programs can be downloaded from our website at 3cr.org.au slash womanontheline. Our theme music is by Ripley Kavara. We leave you today with Cassie Williams and her track, How Can I Live? I'm Ayan Shidwa and we hope you have an amazing week. But let me take, let me take some time to say to you How can I live in this world when all I need is you?
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.